Hi, everyone. Welcome into the BT Powerhouse podcast. This is podcast number 77. As always, I am your host and manager of BT Powerhouse, Thomas Bendit. We, we ha- it is Tuesday evening, September 20th. We have a really exciting topic on hand here. Continuing our season preview series with a look at the Minnesota Golden Gophers, who are admittedly coming off a pretty rough season, <laughs> but are, are hoping to, to turn the page onto that into a very, very important year for Richard Pitino and sort of get some momentum building as, as he moves into a, you know, again, a very important season for him and the program. And to help us break it down, we have U Street on from SB Nation's Minnesota site, the Daily Gopher. Uh, hey, how's it going, U Street? Good, Thomas. How are you doing? Good, good. Happy to have you on here uh, to chat some Minnesota hoops and, and what's going on here uh, across the Big Ten. Um, so, yeah, why don't, why don't we start with uh, some of the more general stuff here. Obviously, you know, Minnesota is coming off what, what wasn't exactly a great season, <laughs> but, uh, you know, at least hoping to turn the corner here. Uh, what, what are kind of the general vibes here, are, you know, around the Minnesota community about this team, uh, about expectations and, and about hopes here coming into the next season? I think that around the Minnesota campus, excitement for the Minnesota basketball program is pretty flat. The team was eight and twenty-three last year. It's hard to get very excited for an eight and twenty-three team. I believe that most people believe that, absent a tournament run, and maybe even with a tournament run, this is Richard Pitino's last season as the head coach at Minnesota. So most people, I think, are gearing up for the excitement of another coaching search in the off season. <laughs> uh, apart from that, I. The program recently reinstated officially Reggie Lynch, which closes uh, another uh, off-the-court problem, for lack of a better word, for the program. So at least at this moment, no gopher athlete is in trouble with the university or the law. So that's positive. Yeah, certainly certainly at least something to, be, to build on here uh, for, for Minnesota. Uh, you know, small we got, victories. we have a, yeah, yeah. Small victories. Uh, you know, we have a lot, a lot to go through here on, on next year's team, but what I like to do is before we dive into it, kind of take a look back at last year, you know, we, we both said it, it wasn't a great year for Minnesota. I, you know, I don't think there's anyone out there who can make an argument that it was, you know, the Gophers go two and 23 overall two and 16 in big 10 play. I believe they Finish Ken Palm, yeah, 223 overall. They get knocked out of the Big Ten tournament by Illinois. Predictably, no postseason bid for the Gophers. Uh, what did you make of last season? Is there anything to take away from it as we head into this year, or was it kind of one of those seasons you just try to forget? Well, last season was awful. I think the obvious <laughs> thing you take away from it. I'm and it, and it was it was awful not just on the court but also off the court. I mean, when you go eight and twenty three over a season, when you only win two games in the Big Ten, though to be somewhat fair to the program, they were trending up before the suspension of three of their starters. So I believe that Minnesota would have had another at least one more win against Rutgers uh, to close the season out. But I think. 
when you when you look at the season overall, the season starts poorly and cap skated from there. The I tend to not be a huge believer in intangibles and momentum, but with that said, there definitely appeared to be an extended part of the season where the Gophers had not yet learned how to win. So they lost six games in conference last year by less than six points. They led late in three of those games and squandered potential victories. The coaching itself was rather abysmal. Uh, The defense was horrible. Uh, Thankfully, Rutgers is now in the Big Ten. Otherwise, they would have been the worst team in conference on defense. They were the second worst team on offense. They couldn't shoot. Uh, They couldn't defend the two-point line. When they weren't defending the two-point line, they were also not defending the three-point line. All of which is to say that I think what you take from last season is absent something incredible happening this year, the University of Minnesota will have a new coaching staff next year because the vast majority of the problems that occurred last year are squarely problems of the coaching staff. All right. Um, Definitely a... uh optimistic approach there <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> uh always always thinking up here at, on the bt powerhouse podcast uh great times uh, but all right so you know again you know there's there really is no sugar coating it last year was really bad you know outside of that win over maryland which to be honest uh, this probably will upset Gopher fans, but it probably had more to do with Maryland playing down than Minnesota playing great. But still, still a good win. You know, not many teams out there had a win better than that. Uh, but as we move into next season, um, you know, the first thing to note is there are some off-season losses here. Uh, you know, you lose Morris, you lose King, and you lose a, a couple freshmen to transfer, uh, Dorsey being arguably the biggest one. Um, what do you make of these off-season losses? Um, who do you think is going to be the toughest uh, to replace? And or, or do you think this is more of the case, you know, you're losing contributions off a bad team. It's not really going to matter. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the off-season departures this year? As caustic as I was about last season, I think the Gophers are unequivocally a better team this year. I think they added by subtraction with Carlos Morris and Kevin Dorsey leaving. The only person whose production they would have to worry about replacing is Joey King, and the person who will likely replace Joey King is a high four-star recruit who was an alternate in the Jordan Classic. So I think on face there is an upgrade there. The main problem of last season was not necessarily talent, though talent wasn't really there either. It was a development of that talent. I think once again, Richard Pitino has brought in, in the off season, a lot of very good players. The open question is whether or not they will continue to be good players once they hit college, like they were good players in high school. And that I think is a lot of the frustration of Gopher fans, which is, you have a coach that is consistently pulling in solid recruiting classes and then you know, consistently losing more games the season after he pulled them in. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. You know, it's, I, I think from a, a general contribution standpoint, you know, I made, I made a similar comment on the Rutgers podcast. Sorry to compare Minnesota to Rutgers. I'm sure a lot of people are shivering as they hear that. Um, but, uh, um, you know, from a statistical standpoint, there are certainly a couple guys who are going to be big losses. You know, Joey King, Charles Bugs, in terms of just raw st- 
statistical production. Um, but I, but I agree, you know, I don't think you can get too mad when, you know, you're losing guys off a team that went two and 16 in big 10 play. So, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think the talent incoming is far more than the talent exiting the team. Um, and with that, uh, perfect segue, segue here. Uh, we are a professional podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, a lot of, a lot of talent joining this team, whether it's in recruiting additions or whether it's in incoming transfers. Um, certainly a lot of eyes are going to be on Akeem Springs. Certainly a lot of eyes are going to be on Amir Coffey. Uh, who, who, how good is this incoming group, whether it's recruits or transfers? Uh, how much of an impact can they make in year one? And um, I'm assuming I know the answer, but who's the guy who you're really keeping your eye on here of this group? The transfer class is very good. And, and it's not just Akeem Springs. I mean, prior to a potential, uh, prior to a run-in with the law that turned out to uh, not involve charges, uh, the, mo- the player everyone was most excited about was Reg Lynch. I think that's still going to be true. He was, an absolute beast at Illinois State. He is a center. He is a very good defensive center, which is something that Minnesota critically needs. He was developing a solid offensive game. And while it's somewhat unorthodox, Minnesota needs more production from that position. They're getting a dramatic upgrade from Bakari Kanate to Reggie Lynch. So that's the first person. Akeem Springs, as you mentioned, will also be very helpful. He was good. At Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Patina seems to quite like him. I think the advantage of him being a graduate transfer and a senior is that he'll be able to provide some additional experience to a team that in general is very young. The wild card transfer is Devontae Fitzgerald, whose statistical profile indicates that he's kind of a chucker, but supposedly has upgraded his game while he's been on the bench uh, over the last year and when he was fully healthy, he was a very athletic player. He's a very tall, very long player. So I think the transfers are, are individually much better. And that's before you get into the people they brought from high school, the most important of which is Amir Coffey, who certainly would be the player to watch outside of Reggie Lynch. Coffey is the highest-ranked player in the state of Minnesota since uh, the 2014 class. He's a high four-star. If he hadn't torn his ACL, arguably he could have been a very high four-star, maybe a five-star, depending on how you look at his recruiting profile. He's very tall. He's a very smart player. He's a good shooter. I think the talent that has come in for this team is talent that you would look at and think, that team could make the tournament. Obviously, a lot of things have to go right, but that team is not obviously not a tournament team. The open question, once again, is whether or not the coaching staff that is coaching them is a tournament coaching staff. <laughs> Certainly a, uh, a very legitimate concern. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I, I think Coffee is a guy who can make a splash early on. Um, you brought up Lynch, you know, if, if he can provide a huge boost up front, you know, that's a, that's a massive difference for a team where, uh, you know, I, I think their big men were okay, but I, I certainly didn't think anyone was outstanding up there. Um, and I, I really like, you know, all these additions on the wing uh, could be very interesting as these guys start to fill into bench roles and, and starting roles. Uh, but with that, let, let's jump into the lineup here. Uh, let's start in the backcourt. You know, obviously Nate Mason's going to get most of the attention coming back after two 
really productive seasons for Minnesota, but you know there are there are going to be some new faces as, as well. How do you see the backcourt uh, turning out this year? Who do you think are the guys to watch back there? Patino likes to play a three-guard lineup. I agree with you about the wing presence. In a perfect world, the Minnesota Golden Gophers have a combination of Louisville's defense and Florida's offense. When you look at the talent that they have on the team and the players they have, that would you would expect then that Nate Mason is going to be your starting point guard. Either Dupree McBrayer or Akeem Springs is going to be your starting two guard, and then Amir Coffey is going to fill in at the three. But Coffey, in high school, was a point guard. His father wanted him to handle the ball in college. It would be very odd to me if he was not in some way doing that at college just from a promise-to-recruit situation, and he's very good at it. So I think those are your starting three, and then whichever one of those is not starting will be the first person off the bench. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It'll it'll be interesting to see, you know, if that backcourt can sort of take over the lineup, <laughs> so to speak, for a lack of a better word. Um, yeah, I, I really like Springs on this on this of this group, you know, outside of Nate Mason, obviously, but uh, I I think he could make a little bit more noise than than some people are thinking. I I just I really like how he projects into this lineup. But uh, but moving on to the wing group, uh, you know, we mentioned Coffee. You know, the other guy who, who really made a splash last year was Jordan Murphy. I know a lot of people have some mixed thoughts on, you know, how good his freshman season actually was. Uh, how do you see this wing group working out? Um, and, I, you know, I guess obviously there's some competition for that, that extra starting spot with the backcourt. But uh, who, who do you think are the guys to watch on the wing? Well, I would expect that if Amir Coffey is playing the three, Jordan Murphy is, the, is your starting four. If uh, Amir Coffey is not playing the three, Jordan Murphy potentially is your starting three. And that's more, more because the other players that you have on the wing are more low post players. For most of the second half of the season, the coaching staff was attempting to establish Murphy as an outside presence as opposed to a purely inside presence uh, for development reasons. Whether or not that was a good idea, I suppose it's a separate question, but it somewhat indicates how they project him as a talent. He's unequivocally the best wing player the Gophers have. In the event that they want to go very big, so you would slot Murphy into the three, then I would expect that you're going to see either Devontae Fitzgerald or Eric Curry, who's one of the new recruits, uh, in at the four. Curry himself was a three and or four star, depending on which service you're looking at. He's a very large player. He likes getting rebounds. He likes getting uh, into the post and making plays there. And I think he'd pair well with Reggie Lynch. Fitzgerald is more of a slasher, but he's also tall and long, and he's been around for a while, so you'd expect that he also has the strength gains necessary to play in the four. If they want to go small, you might see, like you saw last year, Jordan Murphy at the five, in which case, or Eric Curry, Devontae Fitzgerald at the five, Murphy at the four, and then the three that you would see could potentially Michael Hurt, who is the other high school recruit who's coming in from Rochester, Minnesota, and who's supposed to be a very good shooter, which is something the Gophers desperately need. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that, you know, Minnesota finishes at what, uh, 
313th in offensive three-point percentage. Not not exactly pretty. So, uh, yeah, if they could add a sharpshooter or two, uh, that would be highly welcomed, I would think, by Gopher fans. Um, I would but, accept uh, a mediocre shooter. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but with the wing group in the backcourt out of the way, that leaves us with one, and that's the front court. Uh, you know, they bring back bring back a couple experienced guys, but, you know, as I was saying, nobody who's a slam, you know, uh, slam dunk, home run, hit, you know, whatever you want to refer to them as. Uh, but they add Reggie Lynch, who certainly will be in uh, consideration for a starting role. Um, how do you see the front court playing out? Do you think they're going to go into that small lineup sort of like they did last year? Or do you think they're going to go bigger, especially with Lynch on the team? I don't think it's actually a question. Reggie Lynch will be your starter at center on day one. He's a much better player than Bakari Kanate. And the only two options you have at the five position are them. Uh, Gaston Jeju, were he to see the court, indicates that either a whole lot of people have gotten injured or a whole lot of people are in foul trouble because there is no other reason why I would expect him to play this year. I think that it's sort of an open question. I mean, if they can make shots, In a perfect world, Patino would like to press a lot, and that would indicate that you'd want to play a little bit smaller because your options at the two through four spot can be very tall. If you slot Amir Coffey into the two guard role, or if he's in fact really good and you slot him into the point guard role, you can have a starting lineup whose shortest player is six foot four and whose tallest player is about 6'10", and then you have three guys who are 6'8", or or four guys who are 6'8", or bigger, which sounds an awful lot, though nowhere near in a comparison about talent, to the Kentucky teams when they were just absolutely massive, the board, and very very athletic. I would imagine that's what Patino would like to do. I don't think that's going to happen this year. I imagine that the Gophers will probably try – and develop a bigger lineup that's a little bit slower paced just because of the talent that they have and where it's lying. I think that Eric Curry, if he, has, if he turns into a very good recruit, is also going to make uh, running up and down the court somewhat difficult just because that's not the kind of position that he wants to play. And he would run into a situation where you have multiple people who are very comfortable inside, one of whom you're forcing to play on the outside. So I would, I would imagine that Patino will try and start sort of a larger lineup that he feels like he can play zone with, and then pending on how good that lineup is, we'll tweak from there. Yeah, certainly. Um, this kind of spins out of that last question, but this is a, a couple part one here, so this might get a little complicated. Um, <laughs> uh, first, what, what is your starting lineup from the one to the five? Uh, projected as you would guess right now for opening night. Uh, second, who do you who do you think is going to be the top guy on this team? And third, who who's kind of a wild card that you're really keeping your eye on as we go to into this season? I think if you project one through five, it would be Nate Mason at the point guard slot, Dupree McBrayer at the two, Amir Coffey at the three, Jordan Murphy at the four, and Reggie Lynch at the five. And then Akeem Springs is going to be the first person off the bench. And after that, it's probably conditional on what the game's looking at. I think your top player on this team is probably going to be 
Jordan Murphy. I think he's the best player currently on the team. Your obvious wild card would be Amir Coffey because he's the best recruit on the team, and there's a very high ceiling for him as a player. But if I were to give a very wild card, wild card one, I would say that the person to look at is Devontae Fitzgerald. And the reason for that is if Devontae Fitzgerald has truly developed a three-point shot, which is an open question, but the coaching staff is claiming that he has, you have a very tall, very athletic player who could arguably guard two through four. And that's the kind of player that any basketball coach would love to have and you could see him getting large amounts of minutes. If he's doing that in a positive way, as opposed to he's terrible, but the Govers have no one else, I think the Govers actually can make a splash, because at that point you have a whole lot of talent that you just simply did not have last year or the year prior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you always, you've got to love the off-season three-point shot. So, so many of them have uh, <laughs> developed by everyone. Uh, I, I kid. But, uh, but yeah, Every, everyone's a 60% shooter from three in the off season. Everyone. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you wouldn't believe what I hit in the gym, you know, during the off season, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would show it, I would show it, you know, in a game or something, but you know, just don't feel like it. Uh, <laughs> off season uh, three point shooting is like your girlfriend in Canada. She's there and she's definitely pretty <laughs> and real, but for some reason oh, yeah. you just can never make it. And don't you dare ever call that person out either. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but spinning off more in a more of a general sense here uh, off of the players, um, what do you see I, as some of the strengths of this team? And what do you see as some of the red flags? Uh, and, and certainly, you know, how you see that sort of comparing to last season. I think the obvious strength is size. Straight out the back, the Gophers are taller at every position apart from point guard. They are longer. They are probably going to be stronger. That is the initial one. The second one is the team won eight games last year. This team is just more talented. Whether or not it's, you know, 25 games more talented, obviously not. But it's definitely more talented than it was. The third strength that I think this team will have that previous teams did not is the ability to defend inside. The Gophers last year, through a combination of youth, inexperience, and lack of talent, just were not able to consistently execute any kind of defensive post presence. They've upgraded at all positions. They've also got Jordan Murphy in the system for another year. He was getting a bit better at the end of the season about fouling less. So those, I think, would be the three automatic strengths of the team going forward. I think the red flags is no one's, been, no one's proven they're actually able to shoot the ball. The Gophers were very bad at shooting the ball. The coaching staff had a small amount of turnovers. So Nate Ponday left. They picked up uh, the former coach of the Citadel and his place to sort of provide a different look on the coaching staff. But Richard Pitino is still coaching this team. It's still his defensive scheme. It's still his offensive scheme. Uh, And that scheme was awful last year. And it has been consistently bad for about two and a half seasons. And it's the same kind of red flag problems. I mean, most of my fellow bloggers tend to think that the real problem in the defense isn't even the players per se, but the actual scheme that they are running which is just consistently opening up wide-open three-point shots. It's opening up backdoor cuts. It's opening up 
the ability to get favorable matchups whenever an opposing team wants it. I don't have any reason to believe that there has been a tremendous change in that particular red flag. And so if you're looking for a negative on this team, the negative is right there. Yeah, I mean, the, it is kind of shocking. You know, I, I remember writing an article last offseason about how um, if you had kind of looked at Patino's teams, the more they played sort of his, you know, the typical press uh, style, typical pressing stats showed up, the better they got. Um, but that kind of went off the rails uh, last year, obviously. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting to see how much they uh, they struggled defensively. But, uh, um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe maybe the extra talent boost can, can fix some of those issues. Uh, but with that, why don't we jump into some of the fun stuff here. Uh, let's start with the schedule. Um, not, a, not a ton to break down from the Big Ten perspectives, just because everybody kind of knows what you get. Um, you know, things start out really rough and they have that, you know, finale at Wisconsin. So, um, well, they, they get the double play against Wisconsin, but they do end at Wisconsin. So two, a couple interesting notes from big 10 play, but, um, non-con is the real variation, not a ton of huge names on this year's schedule, um, which probably isn't surprising given that the team wasn't exactly great last year. Uh, but there are a couple, you know, Florida state Vanderbilt, uh, they get St. John's who, Maybe they'll finally figure it out. Um, they get Arkansas <laughs> as well. Uh, what, what do you make of this year's schedule, particularly the non-con? Um, and, and where do you see the, the biggest potentials um, for either Minnesota being upset or Minnesota pulling off an upset? I noticed you left out the New Jersey Institute of Technology, uh, which, if I recall, uh, has had some success against Big Ten teams in recent years. I do not recall the, that, to be honest. Um. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think you're, you know, the best team based on last year and going forward that you'd expect to play in the non-conference is Vanderbilt. Uh, they're playing a not like a sort of neutral site game at the Sanford Pentagon. And why they are doing this is consistently confusing. So I'm sure someone is writing a very big check to make that happen. I would imagine that St. John's is still going to be terrible. Uh, Florida State and Minnesota will renew their ACC Big Ten rivalry uh, once again this year. And I think Arkansas, Arkansas could be good. They could be bad. Uh, that one I have no real read on. I think, though, if in order to sort of look at what constitutes a successful season, as far as Minnesota fans are concerned – Richard Pitino needs to make the NCAA tournament to keep his job. Even then, he may not keep his job. So I'm going to answer every schedule question in that that context, which means that the Gophers probably need to win at least 11 of their non-conference games at a minimum and more likely have to win 12 or 13 of them. So they would have to be able to say that they have beat at minimum Florida State or Vanderbilt to have a chance of that happening because those are the only two obviously decent teams in the non-conference play from the Power 5 schools. If they lose to anyone who they're not expected to lose to, so for example, the New Jersey Institute of Technology, I think at that point you can assume that the Gophers are probably looking for a new coach in the fall. As far as the conference, uh, Minnesota is somewhat lucky 
and unlucky. You know, unlucky, we don't get to play Rutgers twice. Uh, lucky, we play certain teams just once, which is good. I think you would expect in order to make the tournament over the last 10 years, you're assuming about nine wins in conference play, particularly depending on where you get them. So if I look at this schedule, that means you'll, the Gophers more or less have to take care of business against every team that was eighth in the conference or lower last year. So they'll have to beat Northwestern. They'll have to beat Penn State. They'll have to beat Rutgers and Illinois. Uh, they'll have to beat Nebraska. Then if you're looking the next level, so you've, got, you've taken care of the teams that are bad or expected to be bad, you then have to beat a, some decent teams. I don't see them beating uh, Michigan State. I don't see them beating an Ohio State. I don't see them beating Maryland this year. I tend to share your view that Diamond Stone suspension had as much to do with their win last year as the Gophers playing particularly well. And I don't think they're going to beat a team like Indiana. So that leaves you with having to beat Wisconsin once, having to beat Iowa, having to beat Michigan, and having to beat Nebraska. If you can do that, the Gophers get nine wins. And if you get any additional ones besides that, then we're potentially looking at a much better team than we were expecting before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think uh, that's generally the the bar that you're going to look at is nine conference wins. Um, one one thing that's really interesting, we had a podcast when the Big Ten schedule was released, uh, I want to say a month ago or so, and one of the most intriguing things is if you look at Minnesota's first 10 games of uh, Big Ten play, I don't think it's that crazy to think that Minnesota could be an underdog in nine to 10 of those games. And to me, when I saw that and realized that I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be an incredibly difficult start. Um, the easiest games are at Northwestern at Penn state. Um, you know, Northwestern, I, you know, that's a, they're, they're still kind of out there on what you expect them to be, but Penn state should be significantly improved this year with their recruiting class coming in. Um, we'll have to see on that, but uh, a lot of challenging games there for the first month and a half, maybe two-ish months uh, of Big Ten play. And I, I think we're going to know very quickly whether this team's going to be an NCAA tournament contention or whether it uh, it could be the end of the Richard Pitino uh, <laughs> era in Minnesota. Um, but moving on from that, we'll do the everyone's favorite part here, which are the season predictions. Um First off, give me give me a general prediction on record. Um, you know, a range. Uh, where do you think they're going to contend in the Big Ten? Do they make a postseason tournament? And ultimately, does Richard Pitino make it through this season as Minnesota's head coach? Head coach? Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with you about those first ten games. I would say that if they have won fewer than three of them. Over the first 10, Richard Pitino doesn't make it through the Big Ten season. Mark Coyle will absolutely pull the trigger at that point and start looking for a new coach. I I think uh, if you want to be optimistic, yes, this team is a tournament team. Uh, I think that that's certainly looking through very strong maroon and gold glasses, but it's not absurd. And the reason why it's not absurd is this team, from a talent perspective, is dramatically better 
than the team last year, or really for that matter, the year before. So if they can have a really solid non-conference season, win about nine games, nine or ten games in Big Ten play, that should get them to about 20 to 21 wins. That would be a tournament team. It wouldn't be a particularly high-seeded tournament team, but it'd be a tournament team. I think that's the absolute ceiling for this team. I think it's far more realistic that they're going to win somewhere between 16 and 18 games, the vast majority of which are coming in the non-conference. I would be incredibly happy, but also incredibly surprised if this team finished 500 or better in Big Ten play. I think I would probably slot them 10th or 11th in the conference. I think they'll probably win somewhere between about five and seven games. And most of the games they're going to win are against the bad teams of the conference. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on a similar uh, page. I, I really do think that uh, Minnesota is going to be much better than they were last year. And I certainly think that they're going to be much better in terms of quality on the court. Um, but, you know, the issue is always, uh, you know, how many wins does that get you? You know, because you can be better and even, you know, win fewer games than you did before, even if you're better. So I, I think the thing, the issue wins are you going to get just because you know i again i hate to bring up the Rutgers podcast here i know uh minnesota fans don't want to hear that but uh um one of the one of the things i brought up though is i think the big 10 overall is going to be weaker this year however that to be much better than this year mainly because i don't think Rutgers is going to be as bad as it was and minnesota is another team who i think is going to be better but the issue is, is that even if the top's coming down, the top is still going to be better than Minnesota. I, I think any reasonable person would say that. So the issue is, is if you're not really winning any more games there, that regression doesn't mean that much. So you got to pick them up at the bottom. But if the bottom is tougher, you know, obviously it's going to be tougher to get more wins. So I, in my last preseason predict projections for the Big Ten, I had Minnesota at 12. Um, I think they're going to miss the tournament. I think they're going to miss the postseason. Um, I, I may revise that as I continue to go through these previews. Uh, I like I like the incoming talent, but I, I just think it's a year too soon um, for it all to click. Uh, am I am I crazy here? Uh, am I am I too low on Minnesota, or or am I just about right here on the Gophers? I mean, when you're talking about a team that won eight games last year, it's hard to say when you slot them at 12th in the conference that you are too low on them. I think that with the conference, I agree. I think the conference is going to be weaker at the top, stronger at the bottom. I think a team like Iowa, for example, has the possibility of some really strong regression because they're losing a lot of senior talent. Uh, I so if I were to give, like, where is the sort of upset special that shouldn't necessarily be an upset on Minnesota's schedule, I would say home when they play Iowa. I think yeah. you could make an argument that is somewhat similar uh, for home versus Wisconsin, depending on how you feel the Big Ten will adjust to Greg Gard after one season. But with that said, I – 
I personally at this point do not expect Richard Pitino to be coaching Minnesota next year, and that's because I think the schedule is really hard, and I don't think, uh, as you said, that the talent is there yet, but more important than the talent is the coaching and the development of that talent. Because if I looked at this team, and if the person who was coaching it was John Beeline, I'd be very excited about this team. I really would. I think you've got a lot of mm-hmm. talent there. You have a lot of height. You have a lot of length. You have, by and large, some pretty smart on-the-court basketball players. If there was a really solid coach there, this team would, in fact, be very good. I just don't think that exists right now in the sideline. And until Patino proves that to be wrong, I think it's hard to be too low on the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like you see a lot of pieces there. You see a lot of hope. But I, I just, you know, I, I think this is a puzzle that isn't going to be put together this year if it, if it is over the next couple of years. Um, but I, I did want to ask you one final or I'm going to ask you two questions. The first one will be kind of lame uh, and depressing, but the next one will be exciting just because I, uh, I don't want to leave things on a, on a sad note. Um, assuming, assuming, I think our collective opinion here and Richard Patino does uh, get relieved of his head coaching duties at the end of the season. Um, well, I'm sure we'll have you on if that does happen. Um, you know, just a preview for those who follow the podcast, but um, what, what would you kind of paint this Richard Patino era as? And, you know, I'm going to ask it, was it, was, was it a mistake to fire Tubby Smith? Assuming Richard Pitino gets fired, it's hard to suggest that the last four years were anything other than disappointing, particularly because at the end of his first season, the University of Minnesota were NIT champs and looked as if they were trending upward. Last season may have been an aberration in many ways, but I think that season thus far has been far closer to Pitino's current coaching talent level than his first season was. I don't believe it was a mistake to fire Tubby Smith. Uh, I don't think that it was necessarily a mistake to hire Richard Pitino either at the time. And certainly his last name has something to do with the following, but you have someone who has been mentored by Rick Pitino and Billy Donovan had been a high-level assistant at both of those programs, had been very well-liked at both of those programs, and had turned around an absolutely garbage Sunbelt team uh, into a team that almost made the tournament with a really good run at the end with, I think, one or two scholarship players. So that in and of itself was not a problem. I also don't think it was a problem to let go of Tubby Smith because if you look at the recruiting classes that were happening at the end of Tubby Smith's tenure, particularly because Tubby Smith was around for the Tyus Jones, Rashad Vaughn, Reed Travis, J.P. Matura era, and it was widely believed that if Tubby Smith was still the coach of the University of Minnesota, Minnesota would have missed on all of those players anyway. Uh, that, tells you, that tells me, at least, that the program was right in deciding to make a change much like the program in a football context was right in deciding to make a change from Glenn Mason. The problem wasn't that decision. The problem was the decision that came after that decision. And it seemed as if the Gophers missed out as opposed to looking for someone 
who either had more experience as a head coach or had uh, more experience as a very high-level assistant in a Power 5 conference for a much longer period of time. And I think that you would expect Mark Coyle, if he is in the position in the, in the offseason, which we both expect he will be, to making a new coaching uh, decision, that he'll look for someone who fits that role a lot more than he'll look for someone who looks like Richard Pitino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. You know, I, I, you know, you can't help but wonder, you know, what would have happened if, if you had kept Tubby Smith there at Minnesota. But, uh, you know, it, it's true. I mean, I, I honestly, at the time, I didn't even think it was a, it was a crazy decision at all, the fire. But hiring Patino, I, I remember the exact word, you know, high risk, high reward. You know, you're, you're hoping you get uh, Rick Patino's results, but there certainly isn't a track record uh, to bank on that. But, uh, but, I'll, but we'll end with, that, with a happy note. Um, Minnesota football, getting some momentum going here. Uh, what are you planning on wearing once Minnesota wins the Big Ten West and they uh, <laughs> head to Indy for the title? <laughs> no, what do you make of the, uh, the football pro- probably, probably a please don't kill us Ohio State shirt. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the, the football program is trending up. And I think the one parallel that I would give for both of them is if you are a Minnesota fan, and particularly if you are uh, not a fan of Richard Pitino, you are going to throw around the words Tim Brewster a lot. Uh, Minnesota's coaching search post-Tim Brewster was certainly not well-planned or well-developed. They were rejected by, among other people, Brady Hoke. But they ended up picking a coach who was, Uh, one of, because Minnesota football has been bad for a long time, one of the best football coaches in Minnesota history and who left a program that was distinctly trending upward. Uh, If Tracy Clays continues that and is very successful, then Jerry Kill will be looked back as one of the best coaching hires Minnesota has made in the last 30, 40 years. I think Mark Coyle is a person who knows basketball very well and knows basketball much better than, say, Norwood Teague knew basketball. And I would expect that if he's making a coaching decision in the fall or in the offseason, that he will also pick someone who looks a lot more like Jerry Kill kind of coach, which I think will be good for the program overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. But uh, I am excited to see how the Gophers do. Uh, and I'll certainly be rooting for them since they are not playing my Michigan Wolverines, uh, except potentially in <laughs> Indianapolis. So I will, uh, I will certainly take that if that happens. But, uh, but uh, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time and uh, looking forward to the season. Same. Anytime. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks a lot. Um, as a reminder to everyone, that was uh, U Street. Um, he writes for the Daily Gopher, which is SB Nation's Minnesota site. Strongly recommend everyone check him out if you're a Minnesota fan. And, and certainly, you know, if you're just a Big Ten fan into Minnesota news, they're, they're definitely worth the read. ton of football coverage right now, obviously, and, and they'll move into a ton of basketball coverage as well. But with that, that's the end of our Minnesota preview here today. We'll be back. Hopefully we're going to move into Illinois here shortly. Had, had some scheduling issues. But, uh, but I, as always, I'm Thomas Bendit. You can follow me on Twitter at tbendit, and we'll see you all next time.